Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. up the doors and we hit the ground rolling on Wesson Walker 12 to 3. We appreciate you sticking with us and right off the bat we gave you no time to adjust to the show and we're going to jump right into the Carolina Panthers, the Charlotte Hornets, Jake Fisher. I mean it is a storm of Wesson Walker because Fitty the bus driver said get on out. I don't want you here anymore. I got to go home and all the kids need to get off of the bus. Are you ready to go or did you need some cushion Wes? Are you ready to hit the ground running? I'm always ready, man. I know you are. I don't know why I asked. That was a stupid question. Let's get to something a little bit more interesting than us immediately getting off of the bus. Let's go to Parks Frazier, a new member of the Carolina Panthers coaching staff. How about Parks Frazier being named as the passing game coordinator for Carolina and you have yet another addition to this staff that has been named within the last couple of days. He's a 31-year-old coming from the Indianapolis Colts organization. He worked with Frank Reich previously before then Frank Reich was fired, was the OC under Jeff Saturday. Probably not the best track record if you want to go check out the offensive numbers after Jeff Saturday was the head coach, but they have another addition to this coaching staff. Dan Orlovsky, we're going to talk about his comment a little bit later on, but we can address it here too. He thinks that Carolina already has the best coaching staff in the NFL outright saying they put it together this offseason. Just another addition. What are you thinking even with the Parks Frazier addition as well? Yeah, I think that uh, it's tremendous. Parks Frazier, I mean, we we will see what he brings to the table. Not a name that a lot of people uh, are going to know right off the top. You look at, like you said, his resume. He worked with uh, Reich before. So we'll see what he brings to the table. But as far as this staff is concerned, uh, I, I don't remember an NFL coaching staff being as lauded as this one has been in quite some time because I can't really think of, I guess, what you would say, quote-unquote, all-star staffs. I can't think of anybody putting together one in recent history where every move that they made was met with such uh, a great reception. Like, normally the head coaching hire is always... Uh, you might like it, but it's picked apart a little bit. And, right, yeah. right. Yeah, you'll get some head coaching selections where people say, hey, they knocked it out the park and things of that nature. But then it's like every subsequent move, especially some of like the advisory type of roles that um, that Coach Caldwell has taken and, and uh, Dom Capers has taken as well. You normally don't see such big names as well going into those roles that people know like that. So uh, it is a, a great staff, long on experience. Lots of guys that have been successful at many stops, man. So it's looking good so far. Yeah, so they announced it just a little bit earlier today. He was the interim OC, as we mentioned. He did call plays under Jeff Saturday. He's been with Reich since 2018, now coming down here to Carolina. And so that's your passing game coordinator. Maybe somebody that um, they wanted to be the passing game coordinator here in Carolina, except for the OC, was Joe Brady, who was passing game coordinator in LSU. So now they're going to have that, um, except with 
Parks Frazier here with this Carolina Panthers team. People are laughing at us on the text line with how we got started today with just immediately going into getting off of the bus instead of playing <laughs> the intro. Did you hear it? Because sometimes you're actually getting your situation organized over there. But did you hear that we were immediately getting off of the bus? I actually did not catch that. <laughs> okay, so that's so, why you were a little surprised or yeah. were you surprised? When I you wasn't. Getting- like I thought that uh, when you started saying it, I was completely oblivious to what had happened. <laughs> what is your routine when we first come in here? Like, usually I feel like it's spraying down the mics, it's plugging your computer in, it's opening things up, it's getting ready to go. Pretty and much, then yeah. Sometimes you have chips and sometimes and, you don't recently. <laughs> yeah, I just come in, sanitize my area, <laughs> and uh, plug in my laptop, get my notes and everything ready to go get my website, my main website that I'm going to start on first. Mm-hmm. Fired up to go, man, and then uh, we're off and running. What's the website that you have open right now? Uh, I normally start with ESPN. No. <laughs> no, that's his. I normally start with uh, with ESPN and then just go from there wherever the show takes us. I'm oh. well prepared, but then wherever the show may take us, I might have to call up some other stuff. All right, so as we go to ESPN, I have seen the mock draft. We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. But Todd McShay, they're rotating Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Matt Miller, all the ESPN draft analysts are all releasing mock drafts once every week or so for us to talk about until we get to draft time. Todd McShay was up this week, and he had Carolina selecting Anthony Richardson at number nine. Now, this leads to a different question for me, because we've seen so many different options. We're going to dive into all of them as the offseason goes on. But with AR at nine, with Will Levis, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young already off of the board, you also have... Derek Carr out there as the betting favorite for Carolina. That's the marriage that Vegas thinks is going to happen if you look at just who the top team is to possibly land Derek Carr in free agency. We talked about it yesterday. Lots of different options for this Carolina Panthers team. Wes, if I were to ask you today what the most underwhelming decision they can make would be at the quarterback spot, that's also realistic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think... I don't know if just going in with Sam Darnold and Matt Corral is realistic. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they eventually make some kind of addition. But of all the realistic options. So those two are off the table. Like, Well, you can pick that if you think it's realistic. I just don't think so. I'm just asking you blanket statement. Feel free to take it wherever you want to go. What is the most underwhelming realistic option they could pull at QB when it's all said and done? Uh, I'll go with Will Levis. Uh, he's a guy, like I said, that I'm not high on the way he plays. I think he makes a lot of bad decisions. And I think guys' traits from college carry over to the pros. And so I don't know that, you know, when you're a bad decision maker in college, I think you're going to come right to the pros and keep that same thing going. So I think Will Levis, in my opinion, it would be interesting just because he's a first-round pick just to see what he can do. But because of what I think he's going to do, it would be underwhelming for me if that makes sense. I would still at least be excited that they invested in a first-round quarterback. And Will Levis has enough talent to where I'd be intrigued by that. I think the more I dissect all of these options, at least as it stands currently, if they gave Derek Carr a big boy contract, if they brought him in and it was something somewhat simple, you know, I, I don't know, $30 million a year, I still wouldn't love it. But if we're talking about him getting something like $35 million a season... I think that is way too much money to give to a Derek Carr, and then that does not allow you to allocate resources elsewhere to try to help this football team. I would rather draft Will Levis at number nine overall 
then I think sign Derek Carr to a north of $35 million a year contract. That is the underwhelming part to me. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with its pros, right? I get it. You do have Carolina immediately having someone that would be the best quarterback in the division. This is also something that is a uh, situation where you don't, it's not a lot of competition. Like Derek Carr coming in as the best QB. Yeah, it's because Tampa Bay doesn't even know who their QB is yet. Mm-hmm. New Orleans is trying to figure out if they want to hold on to Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. They don't know who their quarterback is going to be. And the other one is on your roster in, in Atlanta, I should say, excuse me, it's Desmond Ritter or Marcus Mariota. So, yeah, not a high bar to clear, but Derek Carr coming in at that kind of money. That would be the most underwhelming. That's what I'd be most disappointed with. And I'm with you on Will Levis. And, I mean, Anthony Richardson still is really enticing. I just think both of those guys are at least intriguing enough to where you could land a quarterback that has all of the tools and it eventually works out because you've assembled such a good offensive coaching staff. So I put a little bit more stock into that than going after Derek Carr and winning the division and possibly being bounced in the first round. How many years are you talking about though on this deal? I don't even if you know, two, three years, mm-hmm. I, I'd still rather draft the young QB, right? Because you might think, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Derek Carr can come here for two years. Even that's two more years you set back for not having the young QB that you drafted number nine. And I'll ask you this too. If they eventually bring Derek Carr in for whatever amount of money, mm-hmm. do you think they still draft a QB at nine or do they make another defensive line move? Do they make a weapon move? Do you think they... Um, draft a QB still in the first round, or is that completely off the table at that point? I think if you bring Derek Carr in, then you go in another direction because he's still young enough. You're talking 31 years old, but he still has a lot of time left in this league, especially with the way he plays. We're not talking about a runner here. So this is the guy that, you know, has got a lot of time left. So I would say it would behoove you because I, I feel like why would you waste the number nine pick on a quarterback that's not going to play for at least two seasons probably unless Carr comes in and is an absolute disaster. You might as well go for a Michael Mayer or uh, I forget my man out of TCU or pass Quinn Johnson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Quentin Johnson or you go for a um, – Lord, I'm forgetting everybody's name today, but um, Jalen Carter at nine. nine, Is that okay? (laughs) Miles Murphy. Okay. Yeah, you go for Miles Murphy or somebody like that. Uh, We got some text into the text line here. TFB did write in that Spot Rack projected uh, Derek Carr's contract value at 37 million a year, and that's what I saw as well. And that's how these contracts they do go up quite a bit, and that's why I would just stay away from that more so. And still, even if it is Will Levis, even if it is Anthony Richardson, that's the direction I would go with. I don't see I don't have a problem with that why not because I think that Carl when you look at it since he's coming to the league and coming into this season he's fourth in the league in passing yards he's second in the league in completion amongst quarterbacks with over 1,000 attempts and so you know his 31,700 passing yards since the start of 2014 are fourth uh, in the NFL so and not to mention how many fourth quarter comebacks he's had. Who knows what his career looks like if he has a better defense, if he has more support. I personally think that, like I said, Devontae Adams came in. I thought that he kind of messed up the rhythm of that offense. And I know it's a controversial take, but I think that sometimes, as I've said, with the superstar receivers coming in, these quarterbacks feel like they have to force feed the ball to them instead of just playing freely. And so I think that kind of disrupted some of the success that he was having. 
But I think that Derek Carr is one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in the league when you're talking about top 12, 13, somewhere in that range. So I think $37 million for a quarterback like that that's going to help you win, I don't see a problem with that. So, I mean, me. the, the thing is, if you are a Derek Carr believer, that means you have to believe that the Raiders, every single season since 2014, did not put enough around him ever in order to win football games. And that is not a bad organization. Or, excuse me, that is not a good organization. The Raiders have made plenty of mistakes. They have done it quite frequently. At the same time, this is not someone that is going to raise the floor of what your squad is, right? Like, this is somebody that does have some bad years in the NFL and just even mediocre seasons with some talent where if you think you messed up the rhythm of the offense with the best receiver, some of this does come on to Derek Carr just trying to find other open guys, right? Like, I, I can't... Are you saying if you're Carolina, would you stay away from a, I mean, a top flight receiver as well? Like you, you think that is actually hurting a quarterback instead of helping a young quarterback if you get a number one wide receiver in the NFL to that degree? You're saying, okay, wait a minute, because that was that was a lot. Devontae Adams okay. is clearly a top five guy. Yes. Are you saying a top five wide receiver is actually hurting an offense or a quarterback with Carolina like you seem to say it did with the Raiders? I said I think in some instances, yes, it can. So it, what it about Carolina? On your quarterback. Like if you have a real, real dog like that, like Brady, where he doesn't care what you think or how much you come back to the huddle crying about getting the ball, that's one thing. But then when you have some guys who are impressionable like that, because I felt like there was a lot of pressure on the Raiders, uh, a lot of pressure on Devontae Adams and them to have this huge season. And I just think sometimes it disrupts uh, offenses. As I've said over and over again, like we talked about the other day with T. Higgins, where I said if the Bengals pay him and Jamar Chase a big sum of money, they're stupid. Look at the Super Bowl teams. Hardly any of them, if any, have had huge top five receiver type of talent. Receivers, you don't have to have top flight receivers to win a Super Bowl. And that's been proven year after year after year. Well, I mean, when Kansas City won it, they had Tyreek Hill make okay, the biggest play in the game. and they won it this year without him. Yeah, with the best quarterback in the league and, by far. And, and, and Patrick Mahomes yeah. won an MVP. Well, yeah. because Without him. Right, but he's the best quarterback maybe of all time when it's all said and done. Like, okay. that that's the formula. Brady won seven of his Super Bowls without a, a tremendous wide receiver. So, yes, you went to the other best quarterback of all time with the best we coach can look of all at, time. We can look at tons of Super Bowl champions and, and not name a guy that's a, that's, that at that time was considered a top five, ten receiver. All right, well, let's do that during the break. Alex should give you more time to research. So you research that. <laughs> we do have Jake Fisher joining us on the other side okay. to talk about the NBA trade deadline. We're going right. to get into some of the decisions made or not made via the Charlotte Hornets and also take a look at some of the other big deals made here. Again, Jake Fisher, inside guy, going to be joining us here in just a moment on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Feel free to text in to the Garage Door Guru text line. The number to reach is 704-570-9610. We can get to some of those texts that you had about the Carolina Panthers a little bit later on in the show. But right now, we need to talk about what was an extremely exciting deadline that the Charlotte Hornets got involved in, the NBA trade deadline, that is. Who better to talk about it than Jake Fisher, senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter, by the way, at Jake L. Fisher. Jake, where does this deadline rank for you among the most exciting that you've covered? It was up there. I mean, I've, I've been covering the league since 2013, but primarily covering the transaction side of things since uh, 2020. And of, of those four seasons, this is by far. I mean, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving all getting traded it's the first time in NBA history. You've got three All Stars with eight plus uh, All Star appearances being dealt. Obviously, Russ is not at the peak of his powers anymore, but. A big game and, and big ripple effects that come from all, all three of those moves, and um, I'm sure plenty more you guys want to get into. Well, yeah, we, we do. Unfortunately, uh, maybe we're not getting into some of the big star moves because here in Charlotte, well, we just didn't have any of those types of stars like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, even after the fact that might get traded. I did want to ask you about Jalen McDaniels, though, because that was the most polarizing trade, and mostly, I think, a lot of Charlotte Hornets fans were sad to see him go. Eventually, the Hornets only net one second-round pick in in return, are you surprised to see the Hornets only gained that profit? How much interest did he gain around the deadline? He definitely had interest. I think the, the difficult thing about and why Charlotte ultimately moved him and the difficult thing just about rostering McDaniels um, moving forward here is that he's an unrestricted free agent and the word's gotten out around the league um, and it's not like a big secret. Like Obviously when teams are, are trying to trade for someone who's about to hit the open market. They want to get a sense of what his dollar figure is going to look like. He's going to want roughly around the mid level, you know, ten or so million dollars for someone who's been pretty unproven in a you know winning environment, obviously, and clearly has some you know still room to grow. This has been his best season. Is just happening in a contract year, all that type of stuff. So I think the potential flight risk. Um, and the fact that teams might not necessarily view him in, in the salary tier that he views himself. Um, I, I think that dampered the overall marketplace for him. Jake, West Moran here. The other move that the Hornets made was uh, trading Mason Plumley and making room for their first-round draft pick, Mark Williams. From what you've seen from him thus far, do you feel like uh, that was a great move by the Hornets and Williams shows promise to be a franchise type of player? He's definitely made a lot of uh, progress, excuse me, over the last several weeks. I remember down at the G League Showcase in mid-December, um, I saw him out down with the Swarm, and he definitely looked like a, a player who was moving at, at a speed, you know, maybe a little bit above what the rest of that game looked like from other big men. Like, he was processing things on defense. He definitely was able to catch and make a play with the ball in the paint when he was in a crowd. 
Um, and they obviously used a high lottery or a lottery pick on him, not exactly a high pick, but um, you know, center's been a big question mark for this team dating back to when they added Mason Plumley in the 2020 draft um, by trade when there were guys like Rashawn Holmes and Earl Noel and the flirtation of Miles Turner that were all kind of looking at Charlotte in the in that offseason as a landing spot. They kind of used Mason Plumley as, as Hornets fans are well aware of, as a stopgap for three seasons now. So to finally create a path to maybe, I mean, Mark Williams might not be that guy, but he's shown some success on both sides of the floor, and it'll be good to have him have a runway next to a talent like Lamelo, who can grow with him when they fit on the same timeline, as opposed to a veteran who's on the in the twilight of his career like Mason is. And talking about his growing partner, Lamelo Ball, we know last year he made the All Star team uh, as an alternate, and then this year he more than likely won't make it. How tough is it going to be for him going forward uh, with the trajectory that you see the horn is going for him to be able to get to a lot of those uh, individual and team accomplishments that a lot of people feel like he will need to to reach that upper echelon? We'll see. The way things can break depending on the lottery, if Charlotte ends up walking away as Victor Wembanyama, I mean, the overall circumstances and landscape of that team's rebuild dramatically change of course right and then there's a situation kind of looming over everything with miles bridges obviously I mean, who knows what exactly will uh unfold there in terms of his next contract and what have you but there's pretty generally an expectation i would say that he'll be back in the fold sometime next season so if you can throw a top lottery pick lamello potential you know continued strides for mark williams uh, and bridges into the fold. It's it, it's an intriguing uh, group that you can move forward with. Obviously, the off court situation with bridges notwithstanding. It's Jake Fisher joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And Jake, just to clarify about Miles Bridges, you said kind of the expectation was that he would be back in the fold. And does that specifically reference the Charlotte Hornets after this NBA investigation is all said and done? I just know that the league has taken it very very seriously. And there's no, like, light at the end of the tunnel, let's say, in terms of figuring out what his suspension is going to be and the next steps and order of operations that have to occur there. There's just been plenty of talk, let's say, about what will happen after that process comes to a, a close. All right. Once again, Jake Fisher joining us here, the senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports. He's joining us at the on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I wanted to talk about another veteran with this Hornets team and Terry Rozier. A lot of people had figured he might be off of this team by the deadline, but here he still remains. Do you think Rozier is a more likely candidate to get traded this offseason? I know they had conversations about him. I don't know how serious they got. It didn't seem like they, anything ever got pretty close to the one-yard line. Um, but I wrote about it at Yahoo on Tuesday. A lot of conversations that take place at the deadline um, can always kind of recirculate or maybe they have a greater window in the offseason, to your point. So um, I think that there's a real opportunity um, to have him get moved, but the question is going to be more about what the long-term salary cap structure looks like if we get any clarity about that after these CBA talks will hopefully be finalized between the league and the players union, because the length of his contract is something that teams talk about in terms of acquiring him. And I, I do wonder if what might be considered a bit of a negative value deal right now around the league 
it might have increased value depending on um, what the end of his contract's general salary structure around the NBA looks like, where you could see salary cap numbers rise, other salaries spike, his deal could actually end up looking like maybe a bit of a bargain towards the end of it. Jake, Mitch Kupchak came out and said that the Hornets plan to sign pretty much all of their veteran players back next season. And this is a little bit different than what we thought they were going to do. What do you feel about that plan for the Hornets? And do you feel like they're on the right trajectory? I think ultimately they're a long way away and a a lucky bounce of a ping pong ball here will go probably further for Charlotte than any other team in the bottom of the NBA landscape right now. Detroit already has a bunch of infrastructure in place with Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duren and others. Orlando's obviously got this kind of two-headed wing monster with Paolo Boncaro um, and, and Franz Wagner. I mean, the Rockets are a bit of a mess institutionally, um, but they at least have like a collection of guys now. I mean, right now, if you're looking in the mirror as, as a member of the Charlotte Hornets front office, LaMelo Ball is not even like a surefire you know, candidate to be uh, a cornerstone of a winning franchise right now. We've, we've seen him get to the playing tournament, and the all-star numbers were fantastic a year ago. But at this at this juncture, like if you take true serum and really evaluate yourself, I don't think the Hornets can, can truly believe that they've got the bedrock of a perennial playoff contender in the works right now. So they've got a long way to go. I mean, bringing back Kelly Oubre and what have you, like these are those are nice pieces to kind of keep trying to make, maybe help start building your identity around the mellow. And obviously his, his injury um, history this season and his inability to be on the court for much of the year so far has, um, you know, been a roadblock to starting to keep adding uh, and building this thing up under Steve Clifford's first year back with the franchise. But I think the Hornets, and they, I think they all kind of recognize too that, that this is a, a true rebuild here and something that's going to take some time. Now, you've been one of the first that we've heard to talk about that you're not so sure about the potential of LaMelo Ball. What do you feel like are some of the the flaws in his game that could prevent him from becoming that superstar and why you feel the way that you feel about him? I don't think I don't think he like it's scary. He won't become a, a superstar. I mean, the, the flash, the talent, the ability, it's all there. But dating back to the, I mean, that, that was the big knock on him in the pre-draft process amongst scouts who had watched him back, uh, you know, through his gallivanting around the world, basically. Um, but primarily in Australia where, and I, I honestly, at the time at the draft, I think I was higher on him than the league wide consensus was, but there's a thing about just like winning principles and being, you know, comfortable in an environment where the pressure is and the expectations are to win games and not just perform and play well. And that's going to be a question that people on the league have about his ability, just like they had about Devin Booker before him and Kyrie Irving before that. Like, there are fewer players, I think, than people really realize who walk in and are immediately capable of being able to lead their team to victory. It's not exactly like a Lamelo. Uh, only problem, but he kind of falls into that category, I would say. Jake Fisher joining us on the Wes and Walker show on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Jake, is it your sense that P.J. Washington will be a Charlotte Hornet next season because of a contract extension? That is my expectation. Um, 
I know there will be teams like the Miami Heat who have interest in him, um, but at this point, all signals so far have been that Charlotte did not want to move him at the deadline because they have plans to bring him back next season. And last thing for me, Jake, I just was going to ask about Steve Clifford and Mitch Kupchak. We had talked last year about how Mitch Kupchak, we thought maybe he could be out of the organization. And then he told us with media, he was speaking to them, answering questions, saying, no, he did indeed agree to another contract with the Charlotte Hornets. So what do you think the future is for Steve Clifford, who comes back in an unexpected way after Kenny Atkinson backed out, and Mitch Kupchak right now, who uh, is an older GM who we thought might be out of the organization just last season? So what I was told was Kupchak's extension uh, was a two-year extension. So this year would be the first, and next year would be the last. And then he's got options moving after that uh, to be a senior advisor. Um, and he, I, I think that's kind of an I- idea that last season will be the final year of his years of the controls. But that's kind of also been you know a thought for several years moving forward. So. Until he's actually out of the pole position, I'm not going to I'll, – I'll believe it until I see it, you know. Um, but I think with Cliff, like, he, I mean, he's not someone who comes into a situation to lose games and to grow and to be patient. Like, he's there to win and to instill a defense um, with strong principles, what have you. So I think he'll probably take what worked this season and go back to the drawing board and return – next year with kind of a, a new goal on how to teach what he's trying to accomplish there. And, um, I mean, he's, he seems to be in it for, for the long haul on his side of things, as long as Charlotte gives him the runway, which for now I believe that to be the case. Uh, I do expect Steve Clifford to continue to be the head coach of, of the Charlotte Hornets. And, Jake, the scenarios you presented for the Hornets to really take that leap were to be able to get Victor Wembignama. And why do you feel like, and what's the perception from around the league to you as to why, like Michael Jordan over the years, hasn't been able to lure uh, top talent that wants to come and play for him and why a franchise like Charlotte has to uh, depend on, especially in a season like this, landing a star like Victor Wembignama? I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about like the recent history of modern trade requests uh, of all-stars and superstars and all-NBA players. It's just all those guys. You look back to 2011 with Carmelo Anthony. All these guys want to go to New York, L.A., or Miami. Like That's pretty much it. And if you're outside of those situations, you kind of need to have a perfect situation to draw the eye of those types of players like Phoenix right now. Um, I mean, Boston would obviously be a situation that I think a player would be pretty interested in joining Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's that's just as much of a team-building strategy as anything, building something that if you stack your chips well enough to order to trade for a guy like the Cleveland Cavaliers did with Donovan Mitchell, doesn't matter if he wanted to go to New York. He's got three all-star caliber players around him, and he's happy to compete and stick around, and they're, they're at the top of the Eastern Conference there, so... That's kind of the, the, the roadmap for smaller market teams. It's You build through the draft, you make smart moves on the edges, you create a situation that ultimately will allow yourself to make that big trade for a guy when he becomes available and he won't be just looking out the door. So that, that's, that's why I think Charlotte, Charlotte will be best optimized following that path. 
Great stuff from senior NBA reporter Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Also, make sure you check out his book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Maybe the Charlotte Hornets are going to be a part of that here soon with the uh, tanking era about surrounding the Queen City. Jake, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Take care. Jake Fisher talking a little bit about the trade deadline, how the Charlotte Hornets operated, the star that is LaMelo Ball, and maybe how you can't expect him to carry this team past the first round of the playoff series. We can get to some of those comments and recap those a little bit later on in the show. But it's time we get to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, we're going to keep it with the NBA and the Charlotte Hornets as the Charlotte Hornets owner and six-time NBA champion... Michael Jordan is celebrating his 60th birthday on Friday, and he will make a $10 million donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. It is the largest donation ever received from an individual in the organization's 43-year history. How much does MJ's philanthropy buy him good graces with the fan base that is annoyed at the lack of winning since he became the owner? Oh, probably not a whole lot. Yeah, nobody is none. Well, and, and it's a shame. Honestly... Michael Jordan's philanthropy is one of the most interesting topics that I could could talk about. I love it because it's such a difference in what we all saw with the Last Dance documentary, right? People want to talk about Republicans buy sneakers, too. When you're talking about the Gantt versus Jesse Helms Senate race here in North Carolina that he refused to endorse. And that comment got him in a lot of hot water when at that time, Michael Jordan just didn't really get down like that. But now Michael is out here crying because of the openings of Novant Health Clinics and donating not only $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is a large sum of money, who, mind you, from somebody that isn't out here being David Tepper rich, okay? This is not guy a guy with $14 billion or anything like that. Yes, a lot of money he can afford it. Just wanted to put it in perspective with other billionaires out there. This is also someone that donated $100 million post-George Floyd to charities that benefit black America. And that was the largest donation made by one person or a business than anybody else as far as those types of charities that benefit black America post-George Floyd. It was pretty crazy to see that sum. So, yeah, I love talking about the philanthropy, uh, philanthropy of MJ because it's such a stark difference from what his reputation was in his playing days. Yeah, I would agree with that one, but as far as his perception with the fans and winning on the court, I don't think it does a whole lot. So, yeah, but I'm with you, though. I mean, the philanthropy is great. That's a great donation uh, that he made today. Kudos to him. Yeah, he's been doing it a lot. It's it's crazy, honestly, because Michael Jordan, <laughs> some people were very disappointed in him for quite some time, and certainly that is not the case now. All right, let's visit the Campus Corner. Coming up next, Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com 
and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Hit us up on Twitter. Walker, you want to do the honors today and show that you paid attention in language arts? Yeah, I got it. It is a 704-570... Oh, wait, no. Uh, <laughs> All right, let me try again. W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L. K-E-R. Boom, there you go. Hit us up, man. Bang that follow button. All right? Let's get into the campus counter. All right? One of my favorites every day. Cue up the basketball music. NC State, last night, a game that we didn't give a ton of thought here on this show because we thought that the pack were ready to go up north and handle business, and they did not. And that's life in the ACC. Syracuse is one of those tricky teams you don't know. What you're going to get from them on a night in, a night out basis. The pack shot 42% from the field, 26% from three on 34 three-point attempts. They were nine of 34. They got outscored in the paint, had a slight edge in rebounds, and 12 turnovers, man. Is this NC State, NC Stating? Uh, it is, yes, because this is an NC State team that I think is a lot of fun, and they are absolutely one of the best teams in the conference with the way that they've performed so far, and we did expect them to get that win. Now, maybe it was something we should have considered a little bit more of a likelihood, because it's not like it's the easiest thing to go into Syracuse and then win a game on the road, despite how good you are being NC State, right? It's still one that if you want to continue to prove that you are one of the best teams in the conference, that this is a game that you do have to take uh, to take care of business and it just didn't happen for him so you had an inefficient night from Terquavion Smith you had an inefficient night he from did Jarko. have a triple double though yeah he did well which is extremely impressive but <laughs> when you're talking about Darkel Joyner you know that's a you're, you're saying Joyner had a triple double not Sorry, Terquavion Joyner. that's Sorry. okay but Joyner had a triple double and it was still an inefficient night even still when you have a triple double it's extremely impressive especially in college basketball but that's the thing DJ going seven of ten you know, you gotta you gotta get some work from your uh, from your backcourt players, and it just didn't happen enough for them. And they lose seventy five to seventy two against NC State. Now the question is, like, I can't help but think about the North Carolina ramifications. It's still going to be a quad one win if North Carolina goes on the road and beats the Wolfpack in Raleigh. So it's not the biggest of losses as far as North Carolina's chances at an NCAA tournament berth are concerned, but it certainly hurts it a little bit when you have games of this magnitude down the stretch and the Tar Heels need all of them to try to get in the good graces of the committee again. Yeah, and one of the things that's really hurting them, we talked about ACC best duos earlier in the season, and we talked about Joyner and Smith, and you look at their efficiency over the last five games for each of them. Jarkel Joyner was 5 of 12, 1 of 6, 2 of 14, 10 of 17, and then 6 of 17 last night. And then you look at Terquavion Smith, he's 10 of 24, then 2 of 11, 7 of 20, 7 of 14 solid, and then 5 of 16 last night. So those two guards need to get on the same page because Burns has been uh, coming through and, and stepping up as of late. So it seems like they can't all get on 
uh, the same page sometimes. But as far as North Carolina, yeah, I do think that that's going to take some of the shine off of this game. And I know that Carolina, as much as Fiddy didn't want to cheer for them last night, uh, they want NC State to keep racking up the wins. And so that's going to take a little bit of polish off of a North Carolina win if they're able to get that. Did you change your mind at all after it actually happened? Or are you still <laughs> sitting here vindicated, happy that NC State did, in fact, lose? Yeah, no, there's there, I don't care if Carolina's tournament lives reply, or rely on an NC State win. I'll never pull for that program to win in anything. Not even bass fishing, which is what they hang titles for up there in Raleigh. <laughs> they do. They do talk about Are you about buying that with the NCAA lives that say he wouldn't cheer for them? I don't know if I'm buying that from them. They kind of are, though. I mean, it's, it's, you know, look, if you look at Joe Lenardi's bracketology right now, uh-huh. North Carolina is among the last four in, if I'm not mistaken. I tried to pull mm-hmm. it up. I'm trying to find yeah. it right. So that, so they're among the last four in. Clemson is the last team in. So you're talking about a couple of ACC opponents that are trying to get in there with the last opportunities. And yeah, you know, NC State, they were up three points in this game with 240. Syracuse hits that three to tie things up. And eventually the Orange go on to win it after that. So... If you're in real moment, right, if you're actually watching that play and you have NC State possibly winning and instead you're happy about the Wolfpack dropping that one despite it hurting North Carolina, I believe him. I think he's got that kind of hatred in his heart. (laughs) All right, and then last night as well, were you about to say something? I was just going to say, I don't think last night was so much about NC State, NC Stating. Like, it's really hard to go into the Dome and win. No, No matter how good Syracuse is, no matter how bad they are, you're in a Dome setting. You're, it's just a weird environment. I mean, even when Carolina's been really, really good, Duke been really, really good. They've gone up there and really struggled to come away with the win. So I don't think last time was about NC State stating it was just it's a tough place to go in a ball game. And then last night as well, the Duke Blue Devils at home, feisty Notre Dame bunch came up there. Dane Goodwin at one point scored 17 straight points for the Irish. He finished with 25. The Blue Devils shot 25% from three, but held Notre Dame one of the better three-point shooting teams in the ACC to 28% from the field. Notre Dame only had six assists to 10 turnovers. Duke played a lot better when you look at their assist-to-turnover ratio, 16 to 8. Filipowski bounced back after going scoreless against Virginia. He had 22 points, six boards. Three assists. Any confidence gained from Duke last night as we're up against the break? But any confidence did you gain any from the Blue Devils after that close call? I I don't know if I gained any. I mean, if they would have lost, we would have been destroying them, right? And so when you're talking about Duke, I know they hit the crucial three-pointer. Mark Mitchell came in big for them with that made shot. And also, it was funny to see Coach K being at Cameron Indoor watching this game. After watching St. John's play over the weekend. That's right. Mike Bray (laughs) talked about how some things will never change. Coach K being there to work the officials kind of helped them. Both official controversy again. We can't escape it. Like the ACC it's official. cannot escape it. It's <laughs> official. Mark it down. You can't escape the official controversy that we've had within ACC basketball this year. It's it's felt way more a problem this season than in years past. Yeah, man. So when we come back, former Duke basketball and current Bally's analyst Mike Jeminski on the other side. You're immersed in the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.